Hi, this is John, and I'm excited today to talk to you about 1 Nephi's chapters 1 through 5 in the lesson manual. The title is, I Will Go and Do. There have been songs written about that phrase of Nephi, which is amazing and motivating and gives us a window into his character. Book of Mormon starts with a family. I love the first line in the manual. The Book of Mormon begins with an account of a real family experiencing real struggles. And in a way, I kind of like that because it kind of says, your family may have struggles too. So did this one when the Book of Mormon started. Last week, we talked about the title page and the witnesses a little bit. Now we're talking about the first five chapters, this story as it begins. One of the interesting things to me is I was reading Hugh Nibley, and he made a comment about the phrase goodly parents. Good parents, same idea, or is goodly? Does it mean that they have goods? There's a therefore in that sentence, which I think helps. I, if I having been born of goodly parents, therefore, therefore, because they were goodly, I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. There's an education there. Hugh Nibley said this. He said, the opening verse of the Book of Mormon explains the expression, goodly parents, not so much in a moral sense as in a social one. Nephi tells us he came of a good family and therefore received a good traditional education. So, a social sense of being goodly, it could mean wealthy, it could mean just smart because of, of what they're doing here. To, to give him an education. When we read about later on in the Book of Mormon, we see that they had gold, silver, and precious things. It appears they had two homes, one in Jerusalem and one in the land of their inheritance. So it sounds like Lehi left a lot behind, and that's in the text. Sometimes, too, we talk about the scattering of Israel, and I like to say that first you get scattered in your testimony and then you get scattered in your real estate. But the exception is Lehi. Lehi and his family were scattered to preserve them, to preserve a part of the house of Israel. They are the remnant of the house of Israel that we talked about when we talked about the title page last week. So Lehi, as we all know, has a vision, is told Jerusalem will be destroyed and should leave. And it's kind of interesting, too, to see kind of the progression of who has a testimony and when. Because first, Lehi is a prophet, and he's told to do this. Nephi says, I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. So he believes, but then he wants to get his own answer, and uh, he, he prays about it. And in verse 16 of First Nephi chapter 2, I did cry unto the Lord, and he did visit me and soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Verse 17, I spake unto Sam, making known unto him the things which the Lord had manifested unto me. And it came to pass he believed in my words. We have no record of Sam going and praying about it, but he believed his brother Nephi. And it always reminds me of section 46 listing the spiritual gifts that are possible. To some it's given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
that he was crucified for the sins of the world, to others it is given to believe on their words, that they also might have eternal life if they continue faithful. So I love that there is a there's a Nephi who gets direct revelation. There is a Sam who has the gift to believe on the words of others. And that's right now who have we got on board as of first Nephi chapter two. Lehi, then Nephi, then Sam. Then this incredible challenge comes to go and somehow get the plates of brass from Laban. And verse 5 of 1 Nephi 3, Thy brothers murmur, saying, It's a hard thing which I have required. This is Lehi talking, but I have not required it of them. It's a commandment of the Lord. So I love how hard things, when we understand where the commandment comes from, just become things. Nephi says, I will go into the things which Lehi hath commanded. And they immediately pick that up. It's not mom and dad telling you you should live like this. It's God telling you you should live like this. And when God asks, then it's just a thing, not a hard thing. And from here, Nephi can go. Now, one of the things that we didn't talk about in Follow Him, but I want to talk about here, is the difference between a thief and a robber in the scriptures. So in a book, in one of the Farms publications that I have at home called Re-Exploring the Book of Mormon, they used to call it Farms, Foundation for Ancient Research and Mormon Studies. I think now it's just called the Neil Maxwell Institute. But this is there was an article in there about the difference between a thief and a robber, which I found fascinating. So this is quoting from the article. Although there is only little difference between a thief and a robber in most modern minds, there were considerable differences between the two under ancient Near Eastern law. A thief, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Ganab, G-A-N-A-B, was usually a local person who stole from his neighbor. He was dealt with judicially. He was tried and punished civilly, most often by a court composed of his fellow townspeople. A robber, on the other hand, was treated as an outsider, as a brigand or highwayman. He was dealt with militarily, and he could be executed summarily. This explains how Laban could call the sons of Lehi robbers and threaten to execute them on the spot without a trial, for that is how a military officer like Laban no doubt would have dealt with a robber. It also explains why the Lamanites are always said to rob from the Nephites, but never from their own brethren. That would be theft, not robbery. It also explains the rise and fearful menace of the Gadiant society who are always called robbers in the Book of Mormon. Never thieves. That's on page 248 and 249 of Re-Exploring the Book of Mormon which I really appreciate. The King James Bible uses robbers and thieves interchangeably, but the Book of Mormon gets it right. Thou art a robber, and because you're a robber, I will slay thee. You wouldn't slay a thief. They would have to be tried by judicially. But a robber could be dealt with militarily. We get the hint that that Laban can command 50 men. So he's a military man, it infers, and he could execute them on the spot if he could make that idea stick, that they were not thieves, they were robbers. So that's interesting. Another thing that is, it's difficult for a lot of readers of the Book of Mormon to come up with this justification for Nephi cutting off the head of Laban. Two quotations, first from Elder Holland in On Earth As It Is in Heaven, a book of his. He said, I believe this that story was placed in the very opening verses of a 531-page book. 
and then told in painfully specific detail in order to focus every reader of that record on the absolutely fundamental gospel issue of obedience and submission to the communicated will of the Lord. If Nephi cannot yield to this terribly painful command, if he cannot bring himself to obey, then it is entirely probable that he can never succeed or survive in the tasks that lie just ahead. On Earth as it is in Heaven, page 129. And here's another thing that John Welch wrote, an article called Better That One Man Perish. Several Old Testament examples that preceded this event with Laban may have given Nephi courage to carry out the command to slay him. A pivotal example is found in 2 Samuel 20. King David sought the life of Sheba, a rebel guilty of treason. When Sheba took refuge in the city of Abel, Joab, the leader of David's army, demanded that Sheba be released to him. The people of Abel beheaded Sheba instead, and Joab retreated. This episode became an important legal precedent, justifying the killing of one person in order to preserve an entire group. Every once in a while there's things like that, that there's just so much more backstory than we really know. And it kind of helps us to, to absorb such a, a difficult story. One of the things I love in 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 6, as much as I love the I will go and do phrase in 1 Nephi 3, 7, for young adults, I love 1 Nephi 4, 6. And I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I, which I should do. I think not only young adults, but all of us are eager to do the will of the Lord, and sometimes we want to say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I would do it if I knew what it was. What if you don't know what it is? Here's the I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand idea. You've got to act in order to know. And that is what it sounds like happens here. There's a great article that Elder John H. Groberg an article, a talk that he gave at BYU that actually helped me tremendously as a young single adult. And it's Speeches of the Year. Is You go to speeches.byu.edu and you can find this. It was called What is Your Mission? And it was in 1979. This is what Elder Groberg said. On the other hand, there may have been two or three ways that I could have gone, any one of which would have been right and would have been in the general and providing the experience and means would have been in the general area providing the experience and means whereby I could fulfill the mission the Lord had in mind for me. Because he knows we need the growth, he generally does not point and say, open that door, go 12 yards in that direction, then turn right and go two miles. But if that is wrong, he will let us know. We will feel it for sure. I am positive of that. So here's the point from Elder Groberg. So rather than saying, I will not move unless I have this burning in my heart, let us turn it around and say, I will move unless I feel it is wrong. And if it is wrong, I will not do it. By eliminating all of these wrong courses very quickly, you will find yourself going in the direction that you ought to be going. And then you can receive the assurance, yes, I'm going in the right direction. I am doing what my Father in Heaven wants me to do, because I am not doing the things he does not want me to do. And you can know that for sure. That is part of the growth process and part of accomplishing what our Father in Heaven has 
in mind for us. So that was a that's a lofty idea of sometimes what you get is the absence of a no. He says, if you're going the wrong way, the Lord will tell you. But maybe there's many different ways that you could go, many different majors that you could have, for example, all of which would be in the general area, in his words, providing what the Lord wants for you. So sometimes you have to act not knowing beforehand, just like Nephi did, and trust that the absence of a no sometimes is the Lord's approval and that that's okay. I feel like a a good example of this, I think I mentioned this on the Follow Him podcast, was the 18-month mission that I was called to serve. For a brief time in the early 80s, they shortened elders' missions to 18 months instead of 24. And once I think they discovered that did not bring the outcomes they wanted, this is just me guessing, but I think the church leaders went back to the Lord and said, that didn't work very well. Can we change it back? And the Lord probably said, yeah, what did you learn? Or something like that. And I think that we learned things. And I don't think, as Elder Groberg said, he says, now go 10 yards here, now take a left here. Instead, he gives the, the outcome of the task he wants. And notice that Nephi, it was his third attempt when things finally came through the way he wanted. Now, once they do acquire the plates of brass, then we have this story about Lehi and Sariah having this marriage moment here where Sariah was exceedingly sad. She mourned because of us, Nephi says in 1 Nephi 5.1. She supposed we had perished in the wilderness, and she complained against my father. And verse 4, Lehi brilliantly says, he agrees with her and says, I know that I am a visionary man. But behold, I want to insert, but sweetheart, but honey, I have obtained the land of promise, in the which things I do rejoice. In verse 6, after this manner of language did my father Lehi comfort my mother Sariah. And then in verse 7, when we had returned to the tent of my father, behold, their joy was full and my mother was comforted. And she spake, saying, look at these first three words, First Nephi 5, 8. Now I know of a surety the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Her testimony of Lehi as a prophet now is there. And so now who's on board? First Lehi, then Nephi, then Sam, and now Sariah. As this journey into the wilderness and finally getting the plates resumes. So I find this a fascinating family story as they go on this journey together. And boy, what, what lay ahead? We'll talk about that next time. See you then.